Yeah, that's perfect. Hey, thank you so much, Josh. Why don't we give Josh a hand? He's doing such a phenomenal job. And uh, particularly with Ward away, uh, anything could happen. And uh, when the boss is not in the, at the helm, and so Josh, you've done very well to keep us all in line, uh, which is important. Well, welcome to church. It's so good to see you. My name is Pastor James. I am the Young Adults Pastor at our Oxford Falls campus, and uh, my wife and I also oversee our Sunday night service. Um, I've been married for nearly 14 years, um, so don't let my looks uh, kind of deceive you. I just moisturize a lot, and so I look a lot younger than I am. Um, I have three beautiful children, Harlan, Isla, and Aubrey, and they are all under the age of seven, which means the fact that I'm still standing is a miracle um, for any parents who have had young children and have now graduated. God bless you, and I, um, I look forward to getting through these early years because they're fun at the start, and then they just begin to become draining, and all the parents said, amen, amen. No, I, I love my children. I love them to death, and uh, they are fantastic kids. And that's what we're talking about here today. We are talking about the family. We're in a series around the table and really looking at relationships and how we relate to one another and how we connect with each other. And today, specifically, we're looking around the table of a family table. And uh, no matter what your family looks like or what your stage of life looks like in terms of family, you might be a young family here, you might be a single person here, you might have moved beyond and your children have now left home and you're partying for the rest of your years and God bless you for that. But no matter what stage of life you are in, we are all part of a family. And we are all part of a natural family. Again, no matter how connected or disconnected that may look like. But beyond that, we are all part of a church family. And I think the greatest thing that God has done is establish a family to communicate the gospel. That God ultimately puts all these people together in natural families, extended families, churches, family, and they normally wouldn't get along. But in Christ, He unites us. And the power of the gospel is that we can see that every single week, a bunch of people from all different walks and stages of life united in one core truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and King and that we now can love one another and continue to be that message to the world. It's a powerful thing. Now, we're talking about being around the table, and um, I've got a table here today. Um, it's a small table. You won't all fit, but uh, we can pretend we all do. And I think the table is a great thing in the family's life because the table ultimately connects us. I, I always look forward to Christmas um, because I love to cook, and I feel like food communicates. I should have been born in Italian, I wasn't, um, but I feel like I am partly Italian because of my love for food and the community that it brings, and I feel like food communicates. Food communicates love when it's done right. Food communicates care. It com communicates the sense that, that, we, that we care for one another, we love one another, we want to connect with each other. So I always look forward to Christmas because I do all the cooking. And so my, my, my wife's mom and her brother come over, and it's normally very small, and uh, we, we kind of alternate. Does anyone alternate between families? Because otherwise you're driving across Sydney every single Christmas. If you do that, you're amazing. I could never do that. So we've set up a, a, a kind of a law in our family that one year I will be with my mom, and the next year we'll be with Tammy's mom, and then we'll see each other on Boxing Day or something like that. But that just helps me stay sane. Um, but on Christmas days when we have my mom come over, I love it because we all get around the table and it connects us. 
God has used the meal to connect people for centuries. He, he established the meal. In fact, when he wanted to communicate the love of God and the, the, the way that we should treat one another, he didn't give us another message. What he in fact gave us was a meal. The Jewish people would celebrate a meal every year called Passover. And it was a time when they could come together and again reflect and remember. And that, that word remember is so powerful, we'll come back to that. But they would remember what Christ, or God, sorry, had done for them in the Passover, that His judgment had passed over them, that He had brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, that the death that had come and destroyed the Egyptian passed over their household, that they had this connection with a loving, saving God. And that meal, every time they sat to eat it, would take them right back to that moment, that they would remember they have a God who loves them. But also they would remember that it was not just an individual thing, that in fact they were seated together as a family and that they were connected in that moment to one another. But not only that family, that just this, these little meals happening all over the community would in fact signify and, and, and send a message that they were communicating and connecting with the entire nation of Israel. That even if it was just two or three of this little Jewish family, in that meal... It connected them to the broader story of the entire nation of Israel, of the entire race of the Jewish religion. It's incredible what the meal can do. And likewise, in the early church, when they first began to believe in Christ and to build the church, what they would do on a regular, uh, almost daily occurrence for some of them, is they would come together and share a meal. And again, that would remind them of the greater hope that they now had in Christ, and the even closer community they now could have with one another because of Christ. In Acts, it's incredible, Acts 2, 42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That sounds like a happy family. That sounds like a Christmas movie that kind of plays every time of this year of the typical Hollywood-style family that just is happy around this table. There is something happening in this community that is bringing such joy that they are overflowing with generosity towards each other that they are overwhelmed by the love of God and that they are overwhelmed and in awe, another verse says, with the community that they are a part of. That sounds like a close family, doesn't it? It's amazing. And central to that success was a meal, was the Lord's Supper. And you know what? I think again that the table can certainly connect us. It is a great moment where it can, can bring us all together. And I think it's important in our society that we consistently are trying to recapture the table. I use the word recapture the table because it gets away from you, particularly when your kids are young. I think at each stage of family, table life looks differently. 
My children eat at like five o'clock. I'm still at work by the time my kids are hungry. So sometimes our food time looks different and the way we have to connect and have that table time is different. Your table time might be different. You may live in a tiny apartment where you've got a little bench. You might live in a big house and you've got a big table and, and you share that table every single day. It can look different, but what is important is that we are consistently recapturing time where we turn off our phones, turn off the TV, turn off distractions and connect. It's so vital for our community. In fact, you can read articles written not by Christians, by secular people looking at our society and community saying we need to get back to this. We need to get back to this connection. But can I say this, that the quantity of our connections, the amount of times that we actually get around the table and connect is actually not what strengthens our family. It's not about how often we get together. It's how we treat one another when we are together. And the difference for the Christian is that when we sit down at the table, it's not what connects us that's important, it's what unites us. You see, what connects us is sitting down to a meal, but what unites us is Christ. And what changes and transforms the way we actually treat one another is actually what Christ, how Christ informs us to love each other. This is the power of the Christian table. This is the power of the Christian family. Because who knows this, that just because we sit down at a table doesn't mean our connection is positive. I'm sure we have all had those table disasters. I can remember vividly moments in my childhood where mum and dad, you could have cut the tension with a knife and they were frustrated. And guess what? When there's an issue in the family, the issue is coming to dinner. It's going to turn up as well. When there is disconnection between a father and a son, that disconnection is coming to the table. So again, it is not the table that fixes the issue. It is how we treat one another. So what God has given us is He has given us rules, ways of that we should treat one another and interact one another, particularly within family life. And we find this from the Apostle Paul who laid down these rules in Ephesians 5. Are we ready? They're pretty heavy. He sets them out in Ephesians 5 and 6. And he starts with this, Ephesians 5.21. He says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We will go for the rest of these, of these rules, but we re really don't need to. Because this is it. That's the core, central guiding rule of our families. The core, central guiding rules, not only of our natural family, our extended family, but our church family, that we are called to submit, to prefer, to give over, to put first one another out of reverence for Christ. I love this. That is so key to the way that we can love each other. So then he goes further and he breaks down what that might look like for a family. He says in verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. That blows my mind. He doesn't say submit to your husband better than that lady down the road that screams at her husband and calls him all sorts of names. It doesn't say submit to your husband a little bit better than the other couple at the church. It says submit to your husband as to the Lord, in the same way 
These are, these are tall orders, aren't they? This is a big deal. And I really need to ensure we understand this, that what Paul is talking about is not a hierarchy of equality. He's not setting up this thing of guys are more important, therefore wives, you better submit to them. Not at all. We are all one in Christ. Christ said that. Every social equality, racial equality issue, or gender equality issue is resolved in Christ. He said we are all one. There is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. So he's not talking about a hierarchy of importance. He's not talking about a hierarchy of value. He is talking about a unique way that each gender within a marriage can love one another. There is something unique about this. So when he talks about wives submitting to husbands, what he's really talking about is respect them, believe in them, trust them. Because ultimately, ladies, your trust is in Christ. So when your husband does something dumb, and he will, and proves it right why he shouldn't be trusted, and he will, and all the men said amen, we can trust, well not we because I'm not a woman, but you can trust your husband. And what that does, when, when a wife believes in her husband, despite his shortfallings, it puts courage in him. There is something unique about the way a wife can put courage back into her husband. My wife is brilliant. I think it's partly because my wife, she grew up without a dad. She actually never met her father until we were married. And so she had learnt to put her trust in terms of a father figure or a male figure in her life. And often women who have had negative relationships with their father, and I'm generalizing here, but often you see that they can have difficulty interacting with their husbands. So I was walking into something that could have gone either way. But my wife had learned to put so much trust in Christ as her heavenly father, that our interaction, she always believes in me. And I can go home knowing that the whole world can be against me, but my wife believes in me. And as a husband, that changes everything. You have no idea, ladies, the power you have to put hope and courage within your husband and your kids. It's so important. Now, men, it says for husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did, not, he did this to present her, sorry, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. A husband's love is always sacrificial. It's always a love that lays down, gives over. It's not the rule of the household is not to be lorded around. And this is what's so profound about what Paul is talking about. Because the, the household cultures of Greco-Roman culture at that time, they understood that men were at the head of the household. But they understood it in a completely different way. It meant that men could do whatever they wanted, however they wanted, whenever they wanted, and no one could say anything about it because they were the boss. Paul comes and says, wives, submit to your husband. And all the husbands are like, thankfully, we don't need to change. And then he says, and by the way, fellas, lay down your life for your wife. This is incredible. 
for this culture that he's speaking into. He is talking about men who are strong enough to lead, but also loving enough to lay down all the time. I love it because it says this, that it's the same as Christ loves the church. And I know this, and I'm thankful for this, that the church didn't have to go to Christ. The church didn't have to get up and go, well, we better sort it out, guys, and just go because Jesus is waiting for us. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that when my wife gets it wrong, it doesn't matter. She's always right because I'm willing to give over and say sorry first. I'm willing to give over and forgive first. And I would like to say that I do this all the time, but I don't. But I'm on a journey, and we all should be on a journey of being able to submit to our wives, to actually lay down our lives and love them in such a way that we prefer them. It's amazing. Hardcore. Very hardcore. But amazing. It's about us not looking to our own needs, primarily. It's about us looking to the needs of our wives and our kids. And I love this next verse. It says in 31, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and a mother and the joined to his wife and the two are united in, as one. This, of course, doesn't mean that men or women cannot have their own pursuits, their own pursuits in life and, and, and moving forward in life and that, that somehow we just become this one person and we're boring and we don't have any flair or anything. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. It's about that we realize and recognize that we are joined to this one, one life together and that we prioritize that life over our own lives individually. That we actually go, I'm going to put us first before me. Does that make sense? I'm going to put us first before me. Now, he then goes on to six. He says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. My mother would remind me this all the time. She was a scary woman. And I wanted to have a long life on the earth. Not really. That's not what it's talking about. Parents have wisdom. Great wisdom. I still call my dad for wisdom. I'm 33 years old. And I still don't know what I'm doing. And I feel like every single year I get older, I am surprised at how much I didn't know. Isn't that incredible that God just keeps adding wisdom to our lives the longer we spend on this earth? And our parents have wisdom, particularly for our young kids, our younger children, because what's so important is when it's talking about perseverance or the, or the lengthening of life, that's a really real thing. I wonder how many kids that have lost their life behind a wheel when they were speeding, but back home, mum and dad had been saying, be careful. But they hadn't listened to wisdom. The wisdom of a parent can preserve the life, literally, of a child. That is what we are talking about. This is why this is so important is because the core value here is not about parents domineering over their kids or just controlling because they want to have control. No, they recognize that they have a wisdom to give to their kids. And that's why Paul follows up, I think, with this next verse. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline instruction that comes from the Lord. The purpose of discipline is to bring our kids closer to God. 
not to control, not to set up our own way of doing things because we want our own peace. And I am constantly challenged by this. There are times where I am disciplining my kids and I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Now, I know that I need to discipline, but why am I disciplining them? That's a big, important thing to to recognize because I can find at times that the reason I'm disciplining them right now is because I just want them to be quiet. (laughs) Because I need some peace and quiet. And I can remember in my own life, my dad, at times we would be walking on eggshells. But that does not develop a relationship that is going to respect or listen to one another. The reason I need to discipline my kids is that they can trust me. And when I do it in a way that does not exaggerate, uh, sorry, exasperate or to bring them to anger, we bring up a family that begins to trust one another and listen to one another. And can I just say, no matter where you are with this message here today, this is possible for all of us. I don't believe it's possible to the level of perfection. I feel like we will always be working on this, but I do believe that we can move towards this. And I do believe as a Christian family that this is vital that we do. That we do not just adopt the culture that surrounds us, but rather we take on a new culture. And that's the truth, is that these promises and these truths that that exist, they're very nice, aren't they? They sound very idyllic and awesome, but sometimes they're very far from the reality of our lives. I think even a secular world would, would love for fathers to love, husbands, sorry, to love their wives, would love for wives to respect and honor their husband. They'd love it if their kids honored them and if kids would love it if their dads were more gracious with them. I think this is a very common theme that would, would connect both the Christian world and the secular world. Everyone would hope for this, but it's very hard to do at times. It can seem almost impossible because often the way that we live out our life as a family is really a reflection of what we've experienced in our past. So we come around the table and we do table life the way our parents did table life and they did table life the way their parents did table life and we treat one another just the same over and over again. But for me, Christianity is not about trying to adopt a new set of values over an old value system. It's about a complete core transformation. And we would do well if before we came down in our family connections and just treated each other the way that our parents treated each other or their parents treated each other or families around us have treated one another, we would be great if we actually would then stop and before we interacted as a family, we would come back to this table, Christ's table. This was the power of the early church is that they would start their day around this table. They would start their day remembering the core message of this table, which was our Lord saying, this is my body for you. This is my cup for you that I will give everything over to you. Let's read it. It's powerful. Found in Luke 22. It says in verse 24, oh sorry, not 24, verse 19, he took some bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then said, this 
is my blood. The cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. I love that. Which is poured out. And I won't pour it out because Ward will kill me. Which is poured out as a sacrifice for you all. That's what they would come back to. Communion was a powerful thing. It was about a community coming together. And as they would have common union with Christ, remembering what they did, He did for them, they would also, like the Israelites before them at Passover, they would be connected to the broader family and community. That they would be reclining at the table, signifying that they're all relaxed, they're there, they know they belong. There was a table of acceptance and they were all connected together with this one message. And the key word here for me is remember. Memory is a powerful thing. I grew up in the um, North Queensland, um, in the Sundays. actually. It was a very, very hard childhood. But I, I grew up sailing. And every time we, I love, love, love sailing. And every time we would go out, we would put on like the, the most 40 plus, 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 plus sunscreen we could because the Queensland sun is brutal. And there is a smell of this particular sunscreen, um, which was a Hamilton brand, that I can remember. As soon as someone is wearing it, it takes me back. It's not just, oh yeah, I recall that time. It like takes me sailing. I'm there. And so all of us will have those memories. Smell is a powerful thing that it just takes us back. When Christ is talking about remembering me, that's what he's talking about. Not this, we go to church and that's right, Jesus was good. But it takes us back. This meal, this this remembering Christ takes us back to the core truth that he died for us. He gave it all. And because of that, because of that, the way we love our families whether it be our natural family, our small family, our our extended or our church family, the way we love our families is the way He loved us. And if we could remember that, that would be powerful. If we could remember how Christ loved us, if we could remember all that He has given to us and then love each other the same way, That'd be powerful. What's hilarious is he breaks up the bread, shows them the wine, and like two verses later, get this, 24, says, and then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest amongst them. Oh my gosh, this is us. We come to church, we sing songs, we worship, and then we go home and we begin to argue about who will take the bin out or we begin to argue about why they haven't done their homework, or we begin to argue about what's gonna, where we're going to go for Christmas, or we begin to argue about all this stuff after we've just received such a gift. And so Christ stops them, and He says, In the world the kings and great men lorded over the people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Among you it will be different. Among you, it will be different. I wonder if it's different sometimes with us. I wonder. 
Among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. The leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. (laughs) We love best when we continually remember what Christ has done for us. And we give that over the life that we have received, we then lay down for one another. I wonder what our families would look like if before we passed criticism or judgment or rolled our eyes in a marriage to one another, we stopped and we remembered that God could have passed judgment on you, but He saw Christ and stopped. I wonder what it would look like before we get real angry at our kids again and just wish they would hurry up and measure up to our expectations we would remember that there was a father with a son who had gone and done all sorts of horrible things and nowhere near measured up to the father's expectation, yet he waited there with open arms, ready to embrace. If we would live like this, imagine what we would look like. And make no mistakes, ladies and gentlemen, what we look like matters. Because let me read you this last scripture before we close, and I'll get Ariel, sorry. Aureli. Oh my gosh. It's been a long life. (laughs) John 13. Might I just add that this is happening around the table. John 13, all the way to when to the when Jesus is crucified from John 13. It's it's incredible read if you ever just have time to just sit and read through the book of John. But this is all happening around this table. He says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Just as I have loved you, given everything, you should love each other. And get this, your love for one another. It matters what we look like. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The world does not need another message. It doesn't need more preachers. <laughs> doesn't need another evangel- evangelistic outreach. It doesn't need another crusade. It doesn't need another crazy healing miracle service that's going out in the community with thousands of people coming to it. All it needs is us to love one another. Because when that happens... We talked about this song, let heaven come. Let me tell you when heaven comes. When we love God and love each other. When we love God and we love each other, heaven comes. Because at that point, Jesus said, my kingdom is coming and it's going to look entirely different to this world. And when we love each other in such a sacrificial way, where we forgive one another consistently, live for each other, we live the kingdom of God on this earth. We become that point where heaven and earth overlap. We become that message because as we love God in the vertical and love one another at the horizontal, we become the cross. We become that message of hope and peace and joy to our community. I would hope that we would leave this day, I know I am, that we would go home and live differently, love differently, Love fiercely, 
Amen. Amen.